Hello, and welcome to What in Tarnation, Tar Heel Blog's hot take podcast. On this episode, we're discussing UNC nearly knocking off the number one team in the country and recapping Late Night with Roy. I'm Tanya Bondurant, and with me as always is Brandon Anderson. Brandon, have you recovered from yesterday yet? I think so, at least as much as I can for what ended up being not what we expected, but thankfully in a good way. So I'll take it. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we really did not see that one coming. I I don't know if you want to call it lack of faith or just very, very harsh realism, but I was very surprised at how the football game went down. Yeah. Um, I almost don't even know where to start with it, how good UNC's defense was, how much of a fight the offense put up how Clemson's offense isn't really the best that I've seen in this year so far it there's a lot of layers to this I think I think for me it's a couple things Carolina got out to another hot start I mean they scored first and they scored early and that was super surprising and I feel like that set a tone for things because I was kind of concerned that they might not score at all. And the fact that they scored early and took that lead, I thought that was sort of a really good omen for things to come. And I didn't know that it would be to what extent that it was, but the fact that they were able to put up early points and, I mean, go into halftime tied – I thought that was that was pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, they had the lead for much of the game. I mean, if they weren't leading, they were at least tied. It wasn't really until near the end of the fourth quarter where Clemson jumped ahead. So it just – I don't think anybody could have possibly predicted that. If you claim that you did, you may be lying, but – yeah, I was impressed with how the offense came out of the gate firing on all cylinders. Um, things kind of tapered off after a while, and they got back into some of the more conservative stuff. But even some of the conservative stuff was working. I mean, they were able to get things going on the ground, too, a little bit. I was pretty surprised about that, too. Yeah, I mean, I still think that there were a few few times where I was frustrated with the play calling and that has kind of been a constant this year I feel like sometimes they're a little bit too conservative and tend to rely on the run more than they maybe should Um, I don't think it necessarily hurt them yesterday thankfully because Michael Carter had a pretty good game he had 99 yards on the ground Uh, Javante Williams added in 49 yards on the ground, and he had that really important touchdown to um, bring things close to level. We'll get into that. Um, But, yeah, like, I was impressed that the offense was able to do what they did. Clemson's defense was tough, though. Like, there were a number of times sort of – in the middle of the game where I felt like the two defenses were just like exchanging blows back and forth and neither offense was really getting 
much of anything. Um, Carolina's defense held Clemson scoreless in the first quarter and the third quarter, which, I mean, anytime you can do that to the number one team in the country, I think is impressive. But I really can't say enough about what the defense did yesterday. Uh, You can say that Clemson's offense didn't have a great day. I'm sure that's probably true. But I saw a tweet after the game that said that two teams in the last X number of months have held Clemson to 21 points or less, and that was Alabama and Carolina. And any time that that is the company that you can keep, I mean, that's that's really, really impressive. It is, um, especially considering the fact that they played Texas A&M earlier this year, but, I mean, also they scored 24 on them. So, but that should be also something that's a credit to the Tar Heels defense because if you have A&M out there holding them 24, UNC held them to 21, I mean, that's it's impressive. I'm not saying that UNC's defense is top 10 team good or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this is at least showing that Jay Bateman is on the right track with everything that he is doing with the defense. But on that same footing, it's also showing a lot of America that Clemson isn't necessarily ready to repeat the title. I don't think if they even, if that's even something we should be talking about, because I feel like this game definitely showed that they can be beat. It's just, who is it going to be? And when I feel like, I mean, I wouldn't say that they don't look, I mean, repeating is obviously very difficult and the season is still young, but I think what we saw yesterday was that if Clemson is not on their game, they are not invincible. Um, Carolina was about two yards away from wrecking their season pretty much because a loss like that probably takes them out of contention for the playoff, right? barring crazy stuff down the line. So... I think it showed that they can be beat. They're not, like, incapable of taking a loss. Um, If, I mean, not to diminish what Carolina did, but if if Carolina was a better team playing Clemson yesterday, they probably go home with a loss. And that, that should be concerning to Clemson if they are looking to repeat, which I'm sure they are. Um... But, I mean, I think they're a good team. I just I don't think that they played as well as they probably can yeah. yesterday. Um, and Carolina played a very, very good game, particularly defensively, which the defense has been a bright spot all year, really. So that is not new. But I am surprised that the defense was able to work that well against Trevor Lawrence and – I mean, particularly what they did with Etienne. Like, he has done nothing but, like, rack up yardage, and they held him to 67 yards. That's that's really, really impressive. Yeah. His long was 13 yards. 
That's crazy. Yeah, that was easily the most impressive part of the game for me because Trevor La- Trevor Lawrence is who he is. Like, I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I'm saying he's a really good quarterback, but I don't know that he is the best quarterback in the NCAA right now. And so there's going to be games where he's going to be a bit underwhelming. But I feel like with ETN, you would probably expect him to hit the 100 mark just about every game and to only get 67. That's saying a lot about what UNC was able to do, I believe. Yeah. And I mean, I guess now we kind of have to talk about the last play of the game and what everything came down to, which was Carolina scored with just over a minute left in the game, and Mac Brown made the decision to go for two instead of kicking it and sending it to overtime. Brandon, how did you feel about that decision? My initial reaction while it was happening was, what are you guys doing? Why are we not sending this into overtime? But that was a very, like, that was just a reflex response, I feel like. Because we left the game, I we're sitting there in traffic, and I was kind of thinking about it. And I was just like, you know what? I think I know what Mac Brown was thinking. His thought was, if they're going to win this game, this is when it needs to happen. If it goes into overtime, there's just too much of a risk of things not going that well. If you get the two-point conversion, the way the defense has been playing, I feel like it's reasonable to put all of your faith into that defense the way that they were handling Clemson. So eventually I got to the point where I understood exactly what was happening. It just took me a little while. What about you? I think it was the same for me. I mean, I definitely at first wanted them to just kick it and take their chances with overtime. But the more that I thought on it, the more that I realized that, you know, there was a chance in overtime that Carolina would never see the two, three yard line again. So going for two there was probably their best shot at getting out of there with a win. Um, It didn't work out obviously, but having had the, like, 15, 20 minutes that I needed to process it, um, I completely get it. I completely agree with it. If it had worked, Mac Brown would have died a hero, basically. Um, it didn't work, and I think my beef with it was I didn't love the play. Yeah. Uh, Sam Howell rolling out. And, and trying to get in would not have been my first, second, or maybe third choice. Um, I would have preferred to see if Javante could just kind of run straight through or if they could have set up some kind of passing play. I think that that is sort of like a higher percentage shot than Hal rolling all the way out and trying to, like, end around the defense. Um and if you, if you watch the replay back, they all sort of zeroed in on the fact that Hal was going to keep it pretty quickly, and it almost had no shot at that point. So it, it would not have been my preferred play. I don't know if that was Hal's decision or a decision that was made for him, but 
it's not the decision that I personally would have made, but the decision to go for two, I think, was one that was probably their best chance. Yeah, I think my understanding is that it was Howell's decision because it looked like it was an option play, and basically he didn't hand off to the open hole that was there with Javante Williams. And he had a one-on-one with a Clemson defender. That really would have been the best chance of them getting into the end zone because there was one more defender that could have slid over, but it looked like he had bit. And so, and it didn't seem like he saw the ball. I think that was my thing because if he saw the ball, then that play probably would have gotten shut down. But I really don't feel like he saw the ball. So I think had Hal just handed it off, it probably would have been a touchdown and we'd be having a whole other conversation. But he didn't. And you know what? Like Credit to them for going for it instead of trying to take it into overtime and putting themselves in what probably would have been a bad situation because the way that the offense was rolling, it, it just wasn't – they made the right choice. I think that's just where I'm at. Like, I'm not – but, yeah, like you said, I think the play calling could have been a little better there. It was definitely an example of scared money don't make money, and Matt Brown tried to make some money, and they were so close. Yeah. They were so, so close. And, I mean, some better decision-making. I think we are having a very different conversation, and it's a little painful to – to imagine that conversation because beating the number one team in the country would have just been ridiculously huge for this program. But the fact that they kept with them toe for toe and whether they want to admit it or not, put some definite fear in their hearts. I think that is, there's a lot to be said for that. There is. There's one more person that we really need to talk to or talk about, rather. Um, Chaz Surratt, he had a heck of a game. Yeah. I mean, Surratt has been impressive to me all season just because my man was playing quarterback this time last year. And the fact that he has been, again, in the South Carolina game, he seemed to always be around the ball, but he wasn't necessarily finishing on those tackles. However, since then, I feel like the instincts that we saw in the South Carolina game have been there, and he's been finishing. And he finished the game yesterday with seven tackles and a sack. And, I mean, I just feel like every time I watch the defense play, like I see Surratt flying around all over the ball all the time and the fact that he's still new to that position and has been so good when they needed him for depth purposes I've been super super impressed yeah I don't think there's really much that I can add on to that he was just all over the place he I think he's cleaned up his tackling and I feel like he's only going to get better as the season progresses and that's scary I mean, to lead the team in tackles and you're still probably going to get better. I Credit to him for sticking with the program after Fedora left. He could have taken his ball and ran, but he found a way to stay around 
because realistically, I don't think he was going to stay around as quarterback. I just don't think that was an option that was afforded to him. So for him to embrace this new role and do everything that he's been able to do, I, I'm here for it. And honestly, they've needed him because of the depth problems. Like, it's kind of weird to be in a position where you're like, thank goodness for this guy who was a quarterback and is now a linebacker out of necessity because otherwise he wasn't going to play. But, I mean, he's had a really big impact on that defense, and the defense has had a huge impact on the team's success as a whole. So, I mean, my hat is off to him because he has been really, really good. Yeah. So, real quick before we go to a commercial break, just looking ahead at what we can probably expect going into the – rest of the season because I feel like we are now out of the space that we were predicting that this team could go 0-5 and we are now in the coin flip games for the rest of the way save Mercer they should be Mercer um Tanya I feel like at this point my expectation is that they should beat most of the rest of the schedule if they play like they did yesterday the problem is I don't know that they're going to play the way that they did yesterday because we still have to see if they're actually going to play as though they are playing a Clemson every game or if when they play Georgia Tech, they're very aware that they're playing Georgia Tech or when they're playing Duke, they're very aware that they're playing Duke. Like, Are we going to see top caliber football the rest of the way or are we going to see this team that is still all over the place and what we can actually – expect results wise yeah I think that's a good question because I think that there could be a bit of an emotional like down after getting up to play the top team in the country um I think this team is sort of playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder because of how the last couple years have gone and In that respect, I think they'll come out and try to, you know, prove to everyone that they are still the team that started the year 2-0. And and the next few games are extremely winnable. So, I mean, if you look ahead, they have Georgia Tech next week and then a bye week. Virginia Tech, who just lost – in blowout fashion to Duke at home and then at home against Duke for homecoming. Those three games are super winnable games. And if you can win all three of those games, you're very much back on track. You can definitely see a path by which you can make it to the ACC championship game. And honestly, that should be the driving factor is you want another shot at Clemson because you were so close. So do what you have to do to make it to Charlotte and get a second crack at them. And the only way to do that is to keep the same energy that you had against Clemson, against these teams that you maybe should beat, actually make those results happen, and then maybe you get another shot at taking out what could still be number one later on this year. Yeah, 
I think that you could not ask for better bulletin board material. Y'all almost beat Clemson. You want another shot at them? Finish out the rest of the season. And that's the, the only right way you way. get it. So the only way you get it, yeah. Yep. I I could not have said it better myself. Um, and they're still undefeated in the Coastal. Granted, they've only played one game, but that's something that they need to keep in mind. Like, they've lost some games, yeah, but that shouldn't be something that dictates the rest of the season. They're undefeated in Coastal, and they almost beat the number one team in the country. That's where they should put all of their focus in. Um, Because that's what matters now is you want to win the Coastal you want another shot at Clemson. Yeah. And you can absolutely get there because the rest of the schedule is at least friendly in that there are no games left ahead that they should be looking at and just being like, that. we're, we're not going to win that game. Um, I think the toughest game left on their schedule is probably the November 2nd game against Virginia. Um Virginia played Notre Dame pretty close, so they are definitely probably Carolina's biggest competition as far as winning the Coastal goes. So it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot will hang on that game if Carolina holds up their end of the bargain on the games between now and then. But, I mean, that game could have just absolutely huge implications in where – the heels end up as far as the coastal goes absolutely well right now we're going we're going to take a commercial break when we get back we're going to talk a little late night and also just a little amount of recruiting news as well stay tuned all right and we are back so tanya let's go ahead and jump into a little bit of late night with roy action um so we both were in attendance for late night. It was a really cool event. I feel like everything was fun as you would expect. Um, got to see the players, got to see a little scrimmage. Um, what was your overall take of the night? I thought it was really fun. I mean, I'm always super excited for basketball to kick off. Late night is always sort of the turning point for football turning into basketball it was a little early this year which felt strange but I was as ready as ever I really liked getting to see the team play together in you know in as much as they were scrimmaging but um it was really fun to get to see them actually play um I I'm always here for Roy dancing I'm always here for all of the players showing off their moves because, you know, it it determines the tone for jump around and such for the whole season. Um, And the person that I was impressed with dance-wise and basketball-wise was Christian Keeling. Yeah. He looked really, really good at both, if we're going to be honest. But his, his basketball... For a player that we've not seen play yet for Carolina, um, it was not difficult to look at him as a grad transfer 
and see flashes of Cam Johnson. Like, he looked like he could easily step into a starting role and play a huge part in the whole, like, unit this year. So I thought what he did at late night was really impressive, and I think he could be pretty – he could have a pretty special year. Yeah. I always feel a little weird talking about late night scrimmage stuff because I think people take things a little too seriously when it comes with to that. But like, here's the thing: there is definitely stuff that you could take away from the scrimmage that are pure. This kid is good at basketball type things, and I think with that said, everything that we saw from Christian Keeling was definitely, hey, this kid is really good at basketball type stuff. Like we saw multiple plays where it was just kind of like you shouldn't have been able to make that shot. And he made that shot. Like, the one that sticks out to me the most was when he was driving into the lane, ran into two defenders, made contact with both defenders, and ended up getting the layup to go in anyway. Like, that's the type of stuff that I don't care if the game is serious or not. The fact that you're able to do that, like, that's saying something. So I think with that said, Keep an eye on Christian Keeling. I think that he, I've always thought that he was going to come in and do a lot of good things. And I think seeing what he did at late night is just confirming kind of what at least I already thought. Yeah, I mean, even though this is a hot take podcast, I don't feel like hot takes around scrimmages are a very good use of time. I think people kind of overreact a little bit, both good and bad. Um, I know, like, looking at just the scrimmage as a whole, there were places where I was like, eh, that was kind of sloppy. I hope that's not something that happens in the regular season. But there's no reason to believe that it will be because, I mean, they basically just started practice. Yeah. So I'm not worried, and I feel like overreacting to that stuff is – just going to wear on your nerves more than anything. Yeah. Um, I will take away the fun things from it, and that was that Christian Keeling looked good, and Cole Anthony looked good too. Yeah. I thought um, I thought he did a really good job, and I'm super excited to see him play this year because I think he's going to be, you know, the, the level of fun that we had watching Kobe, yeah. I feel like we could get pretty close to that with Cole Anthony. Yeah, and I feel a little bad because it, he's coming in. It's almost like replacing your first puppy where it's like, I love this puppy. No other puppy I will be able to love more than I love this puppy. Puppy goes on to other things. And <laughs> Are you saying that the puppy dies? <laughs> I don't. Various things could have happened. Wow. Could have given away the puppy. The puppy could have... Could have ran away. Could have ran away. I'm just saying the puppy is no longer with us. (laughs) And now there is a new puppy. The puppy is named Cole Anthony. And it's like, you're really awesome, but you're not the first one. And, like, that's not to say that Kobe's, like, my first ever favorite Tar Heel or anything like that. But what I am saying is that I think you can agree with me is, like, Kobe, we attached ourselves to Kobe so much because, I mean, for you and me, 
a lot of it was getting to see him in high school. He was just so dynamic and amazing, had great hair, so on and so forth. Went on to become a top 10 NBA draft pick. I mean, it, it wasn't all in our heads or anything like that. It was just he was so incredible that now we have this guy that is supposed to be even better, but it's hard to wrap our minds around it right now. And I'm working my way towards it because he, he did. He played really well during the scrimmage. There were some things that he could do better for sure, but also, once again, scrimmage. So, I guess the thing that I try to keep in mind is that if Kobe is our first puppy that kind of ran away or whatever, at least Cole Anthony is a new puppy and not like one of those electronic dog things that you buy at the like toy store and your parents like brought that as like your new puppy replacement and you're like this is not the same thing right like at least we have something that should be very similar to what we had with our first puppy so or possibly better or possibly better um and and that's exciting because there are a lot of times when there could be a dramatic drop off between puppies. Yeah. But also, this metaphor has has run very long. Um, you but know, I made this metaphor just for you, right? I appreciate it. Because if anybody doesn't know, Tanya really loves puppies. I really love puppies, and I really love Kobe, and I think I'm really gonna love Cole. So it's like a perfect analogy. Yeah. Going a little bit more into Cole Anthony, I think what made me the happiest this weekend had nothing to do with basketball. He, from the second that he came out during the introductions, you could tell he loved being in Chapel Hill and being a Tar Heel. He was just so excited. He started twisting around a shirt or a towel. I don't remember it which. Shirt. It was his shirt. It was his jersey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Took off his jersey, started twisting around like, spinning like a helicopter. Um, he was at the football game. Doing push-ups. Doing push-ups when UNC scored. Yeah. He loves this university already. Yeah, that's really exciting because we all know it, it's not like the Kobe situation where – we didn't know that he was going to play one year and then be gone. Like, we're all almost 1,000% certain that Cole Anthony is here for one year. And that's okay because go get that money, son. But we know that, like, his time here is limited. And I feel like it would be easy to know, like, if someplace is just your one-year pit stop that you don't have to get super emotionally invested in it. And that does not seem to be Cole Anthony at all. He seems to be all in. And I really think that that's like the best of all of it because he's going to be super good. He's going to be a lot of fun in the process. And then he's going to go on and do awesome things in the NBA, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's it's really nice to see him embrace the college atmosphere even if he's here because of kind of an arbitrary NBA rule that says he has to be um it seems like he is gonna make the most of it and that's really all that you could ask for yeah and 
us as Carolina or like we as Carolina fans, I think that nothing is more enjoyable than seeing a Tar Heel enjoy being a Tar Heel. I think that if win or lose, I think that's all we could ever ask for because we all love this university so much that it's it's just what you want to see. And maybe just as important, it's what recruits want to see when they come and visit and are still trying to figure out what school they want to go go to. And I think kind of leaning into that and going back around to Kobe, the ovation that Kobe got when they showed that he was at the game, I hope every recruit saw that and recognized that, like, the kid was there for one year and everybody still loves him. Yeah, I mean, he got a huge ovation at late night and everyone was just super amped up to see him back. And I think that that is a huge selling point because I think that there are probably places that these players could go, and if they have intentions of only staying one year, they might not be as embraced as a player who stays multiple years. But I think the ovation that Kobe got at late night kind of shows that that's not a problem at Carolina and that the fans are very willing to extend that love to, you know, Theo Pinson, who played four years, or Kobe White, who played one year. And it, we, we harp on it all the time, but it really is kind of like a family thing where even if you only stayed one year, like you're still part of that family and they're still going to embrace you as their own. Um, I think that's got to be a huge selling point for players who really want that kind of atmosphere and I don't know why you wouldn't but if it's what you want then I think I know of schools we we know of schools where they just don't have that so I think I think it's good to see that like very obvious proof that Carolina um, treats their own super well even if they were there a limited time Nothing's fabricated there. Right. It It was super genuine, and, like, it wasn't playing it up for anybody. Like, it was just everybody was stoked to see Kobe again. Yeah. There could have been no recruits there. And, by the way, the recruits got a big ovation as well. They did. Um, Even if they weren't there, the exact same thing would have happened. And I also think that is just as important. Recruiting-wise, I don't think we have to beat a dead horse, but I do want to just kind of sweep over all of it and say that the entire weekend for as many recruits were there was as successful as it could possibly be. Yeah. I mean, I I know in our last podcast we joked about particularly football, like it not being a great time to bring in players that you want to bring in we were wrong we will eat our crow on that um i think it went pretty much as well like i mean obviously if they beat clemson that would be like the cherry on top but the rest of it was a sunday with whipped cream and like everything was there it was still probably as effective as it could have been um, late night, the atmosphere was really good. Uh, everyone was really loud for the recruits. They were really hyped up for the new players. I thought all that went really well from like a recruiting standpoint. 
um, if you're selling the program, if you're selling Carolina. And then football-wise, I mean, they hung toe-to-toe with the best team in the country, and and that has to be a really big selling point as well because you can then go to that recruit and be like, we were so close, you come here, we'll get them next time. And I, I can't think of a much better pitch than that. Yeah, absolutely. Brandon, do you have anything else to discuss? Um, nothing else for me. Tell the people where they can find you online. You can find me at THB Brandon. And you can find me at Tanya Bondurant or at Tar Heel Blog. We will be back later this week to talk about Georgia Tech and probably have a recruiting update, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Yep. Um, until then, make sure that you subscribe on the podcast application of your choosing, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Leave us a review. And if you leave us a five-star review, Chad Floyd will read that out on his next podcast. Until then, go Heels. Go Heels.